coming up this week on Breaking Badness. It's a special episode because we are joined by our friend Noel Cookies and we are discussing Father Fishmas Give Us the Money. Uh, we're talking about research surrounding the recent United States Postal Service mission campaigns. And we will be playing our fun game, Gold Guidance and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, and it is a special Fishmas episode. We're recording on December 11th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Callie, Super Link Fly, Fencil, and with me, our co-host, Taylor. What do you get on the IPv6 day of Christmas, Wilkes Pierce, and Tim, have yourself a merry little Fishmas helming, and last but not least, we're... We're joined by our friend Noel Cookies, or uh, should I say maybe uh, Noel Sugar Cookies? We're going to stay in line with our Christmassy theme. (laughs) Sounds right on brand. Yes. I'll take it. I purposely I think what you get on the IPv6 day of Christmas is a really long address. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I purposely didn't give you the option, Noel Cookies, to have a fun name because I wanted you to have my fun name that I would attribute to you. <laughs> I graciously accept it, Callie. Thank you yes. so much. Yes, perfect. Breaking badness is, people may not realize, it's a benevolent dictatorship. It's not really a democracy around here. I, yeah, I am a benevolent ruler <laughs> as, I, as I produce this podcast. But we're so, we're so happy to have you here. It's been a while, I think. I think it's been a full year. Always great to be here and happy holidays. Um, I hope you and everyone listening has a wonderful holiday season and new year um, and a break uh, because it's been quite a year in cybersecurity and I think all of us need to recharge. Yeah, for sure. And we're especially, you know, seeing some some pretty interesting things in regards to, you know, the United States Postal Service, you know, a.k.a. USPS this mission campaign, um, you know, we, we've been uh, reporting on, on what we've been seeing on our blog. I know Brian Krebs is also, um, you know, researching, you know, this, this campaign as well. Um, so we're, we're just dedicating this whole episode to, to what we've been seeing. Um, yeah. Any, any initial thoughts, everybody? Before uh, we dive in, I'll just say it is rare that these things kind of land themselves in my inbox over and over and over again, as this one has, um, you know, over the last couple of weeks or so. It seems like um, everybody's getting hit by this. Yeah, um, I guess really quick before um, we go on, you know, just in terms of the benevolent dictatorship, how great is this title of this episode? <laughs> <laughs> I just so Yeah, so I guess the question for me, and I've got about Father Fishmas. Um, is this off of the this is off of the Kinks song? Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah. So is Father well Fishmas the protagonist or the antagonist here? He's the well in the Kink song, he's yeah. the protagonist. Yeah, he's getting beat up for his money. This is an interesting question. I was sort of wrestling with this all weekend. Uh, myself <laughs> Who's that exact question here? you know what's really funny is i watch um there's this youtube channel um trash theory where they've got really good short documentaries about music and there's one for this kink song 
and I watched it last night. Uh, it's about 20 minutes long, too. It's really cool. Um, but I don't After watching it, I don't know how it applies to Fishmas. Yeah. So, no cookies. Any thoughts? The benevolent dictatorship means we don't even necessarily need that to happen. I know, um, we but, just... But oh, to add what... Uh, to add to what Tay said... Um, a few days ago, I did a quick family and friends kind of poll, and every single one I asked said they'd received the spam. And then I asked them to ask other people they knew the same question. All replied in the affirmative. Uh, so can you think of any particular written spam campaign um, that would get such a response? I can't. And um, I live in this space. Um, you know, anti-phishing work is is my passion, and I've always had a keen interest on how spam gets delivered, uh, the technical and in- infrastructure underlying it, and frankly, um, this is one of the more fascinating and impressive phishing campaigns that I've seen in a very long time. I think if you kind of went back in time and you talked to a spam operation. Um, the type that would inundate your inbox 15 years ago with um, scams promoting um, investment opportunities in West Africa, dead relatives, or um, international lottery winnings, um, kind of the period that's considered the golden age of spam. I think if you... Hey, I'm um, still waiting on some of those lotto winnings, all right? like, <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for such a good deal on inkjet printer cartridges. No, that's truly not going to happen. Yeah. We have a better chance on the lotto, my friend. <laughs> yeah, but but if if you you know were able to share um, the success rate in terms of spam delivery to people's cell phones, uh, either using SMS or iCloud, using a various number of means to get those messages sent, uh, they would be incredibly impressed at the deliverability um, and the volume. It, it's extraordinary. I'm just looking in my uh, in my spam folder right now for one of my personal email addresses, and you know, weirdly enough, I don't specifically see in the more recent ones. I don't happen to see a USPS one. I see a bunch of FedEx ones, uh, oddly enough. And on my phone, I have gotten USPS smishes recently, but I've also gotten probably just as many uh, Timu ones. Well, I'm, I mean, you can think about spam, um, you know, using the starting point of, of four maxims. Um, spam is complex. Spam is pervasive. Uh, spam is successful at scale. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly um, for this discussion Spam is really successful at really large scales. It's also delicious. <laughs> the preparation, you know, is important. It's true. I will say. Like a good spam masubi. No, I, I, one question I have is what, when you look at the infrastructure required to drive spam into, uh, into inboxes uh, on mail servers versus uh, into SMS messages. Like what, like in, from a setup perspective, how, how do you split those two apart when you're looking at it from the outside? Well, 
to kind of zoom out, um, we're seeing this huge influx of spam delivered by email to SMS, straight SMS, iCloud, um, because the kind of the underlying infrastructure that, say, email has for spam filtering detection and shutting down um, malicious sending activities, it just isn't quite as developed. Um, you know, credit goes to this for a number of technical improvements, um, you know, changes to delivering filtering of email messages and even um, fairly robust uh, legislative and regulatory infrastructure that exists uh, that helps keep spam either in a spam folder or um, not delivered, period. And that's not to, um, you know, throw shade on the telecommunications providers and and services that um, are being abused here. It will just, in my opinion, at least um, take some time for platforms and services like those to catch up. And I think there'll be improvements on the horizon. I can say that um, people that I've spoken with um, at these very providers understand the problem and they're working really hard to fix it. So there's definitely hope on the horizon. But in the meantime, um, these type of... um, you know, malicious messages will continue. And in my opinion, and I agree um, with you all, that it's going to get worse. I mean, that is the general overriding theme of our podcast, I think. Um, It's going to get worse. (laughs) But it it, it didn't seem good to like call it that. True. Yeah, no, you can't lead with that for sure. The It's Going to Get Worse podcast. Yeah. It's a very, that, I think that would attract like a certain type of person, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Well, I think, I think as a, you know, a community, um, we tend to kind of trend toward um, cynicism and pessimism. But I can say that, yes, this type of, um, you know, malicious, malicious messaging will increase. But, but. I sincerely believe that there is actually hope on the horizon here. There are a lot of very talented people at a lot of um, very good companies that are working on this pro- on this problem. I can say that in the anti-phishing and research space, um, you know, companies like WMC Global are absolutely killing it with their phishing kit analysis and figuring out how spam operates. I can say that you know researchers that are cited in uh, in that write-up um like uh, gonza um it's great great research and that researcher in particular i can't wait to see what they do um with their career as they continue on their security journey because um it was really good analysis so yeah there's um definite reason for concern um it's a stunning amount of spam but there is hope that uh, we can start at least having some incremental improvements. And I, I do have to give a couple of shout outs, um, which is one of them is simply that um, the hit rates of uh, spam and, and phishing and whatnot in my Gmail accounts is very low. Like my spam folder has very few false positives and my inbox tends to have very few 
of these messages that get through. So they're doing things pretty well. And then you've got these groups uh, like uh, the Anti-Fishing Working Group, which has a lot of really good people uh, working there. And then MOG, for people who aren't familiar, that's uh, spelled M3AAWG, the Messaging Malware and Mobile Anti-Abuse Working Group. And so they're doing some really really great work on this too. So there are a lot of smart people. And uh, of course, very much among those yourself, Null, um, working on the problem. So yeah, that that is a reason for uh, some optimism. Yeah. Oh. So, oh, sorry. No, Taylor, you, you go ahead. <laughs> we, can, we can, in 2024, our resolution can be, hey, we can keep the cynicism, but just, you know, move from pessimism to optimism. I don't know. I've, I've spent so much of my career um, kind of pessimistic, but I don't know. I guess as I as I get older, um, I become more optimistic. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're in kind of a war of attrition and um, creativity. So there's a constant ebb and flow between um cyber criminals coming up with really creative and ingenious ways to uh, perpetuate crimes that hurt real people, um, not just nameless corporations or banks, um, ordinary, hardworking people that um, see their lives incredibly disrupted and exposing them potentially to these um, cycles of abuse that kind of reverberate uh, for years on end. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's reason to be concerned, um, but we can respond to those shifts and come up with creative ideas and techniques of our own to shut it down or at least make it more difficult as a stopgap. And from there, um, you know, there are a lot of other ways that we can, um, you know, deter that type of activity, uh, sadly. Those processes take a lot longer, but yeah, um, we can at least um, hold the line, so to speak. I know we've been talking, um, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, smishing, but we we never really defined it. And I and I feel like there there's probably a huge number of people that are listening to our podcast that know, but, you know, just just in case, just to fill that gap, can we just uh, backtrack a little bit and, and talk about what that is? Sure. In the context here, um, I'm calling it spam. Other people call it lures. Other people call it smishes. Um, in the context here, we're talking about a malicious um, URL or, in this case, one that leads to a phishing domain being sent over SMS or other types of messaging. Mm -hmm. So whereas phishes traditionally were delivered via email, um, here they're delivered via message. I wish people would stop figuring out I can share fishes this way now. <laughs> but uh <laughs> no more innovation in fishing. Yeah. <laughs> no. But um so in in the in the research that, that we had shared, which uh, you know, we'll we'll share in our show notes, which uh it's brief brief title, Return to Sender. You know, we had mentioned that um you know, the, this particular um, attacker did not use um, chat GPT. And I'm just wondering if, you know, we could, you know, just briefly talk about why we think that is, Be, you know, it's been on a swift rise this year. 
So um, it's it's been in the news so much about, you know, people using it, people worrying about it taking their jobs. And, and we pr- predicted we would see more of it in terms of, you know, fishing campaigns. So I'm just curious why at the end of 2023, you know, we're not seeing it at, in this pervasive campaign. Well, to be sure, there are a lot of ways to um, abuse generative AI. But um, here, kind of off the top of my head, I think there are several reasons why they didn't. Um, my assumption since variations of these particular spam messages exist, and there are some that have minor grammatical and typographical errors that they weren't necessarily relying um, on generative AI to create these lures. I think one of the main reasons is it just simply isn't necessary at this point. Um, Spam templates exist. There are actual examples of notification messages that can be repurposed. And there are also translation services. Um, in the article, uh, you point out that, um, you know, there's evidence of, of Google Translate being used to um, clone a page. Um, services like that make it easy enough, even if there is a wide language barrier between um Simplified Chinese, uh, which um, in the example of Chin Lun, they're usually writing in versus English. So, you know, you, you think about think about those reasons. Um, and plus, you kind of have threat actors who iterate and tweak the contents of spam to make it seem more legitimate uh, because they're continually interested in the kind of success rate of of their spam. You know, that's an interesting thing to think about. I, and I hadn't really, there's been so much attention to generative AI. Um, but quietly, you know, for quite a long time, the machine translation of course has been getting better and better too. And I, I haven't paid much attention to exactly how good those improvements have been, but I imagine that's another thing, you know, that's another option. Like if you're, if English is not a proficient language for you, um, you could either, you know, know enough English to write a decent prompt into uh, ChatGPT or one of its cousins, or you could write the thing out in your favorite language and then have it machine translated. Uh, and, you know, if you're not super proficient with English, then of course the downside of that second one is if the machine translation is kind of stilted and imperfect, you're not necessarily going to catch that. But I suspect that the machine translation has probably been getting better substantially uh, over the last couple of years as well. Sure. And also um, phishing actors and spammers um, share information. They have templates and also they can use legitimate services as their templates too. Yeah, I mean, a, yeah. a fish is an impersonation. These spam messages impersonate um, a service to get a target to, um, you know, hand over valuable personal information under the guise of being that legitimate service. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that they can blend into an environment for sure. Yep. Good point. And um, no cookies, like you had mentioned before we had started recording, like this is 
this campaign is, you know, you can't compare it really to anything that you've seen before in your career. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, why why the USPS? Like, just for I'm, it might be obvious to, you know, the people on on this recording, but you know, just in case our listeners, you know, want more context on why this is the most pervasive campaign to date, really. Well, um, it's an impressive um, threat actor for sure. Uh, the volume of their sending capability is truly impressive. Um, but I think the particular targeting of, of the Postal Service um, is, like you guys said, um, it's about as trusted of a brand as you can get in American society now. And its role is equally foundational. Uh, think about it. Um, the successful and timely delivery of parcels is kind of essential for a society to function. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. So you've got the trust factor. And um, I guess there are some environmental factors that would make this particular type of um, cybercrime so dangerous for everyday consumers. Think about the pandemic and the tremendous spike in shipping that it caused. As a city dweller myself, I, I remember seeing building mailrooms that are just overflowing with packages throughout the pandemic. And even now, um, especially considering that the holidays are approaching, too, uh, that's going to be more on people's minds as well because they're expecting more things to be delivered. Um, another thing to consider is, you know, the uptick in package theft in part. Uh, because so many people have had deliveries waiting on their doorsteps that have been stolen. Um, kind of in short, people want their stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, so drives that a, urgency. A, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a, a effective spam is a form of deception. They're trying to use some sort of, of tactic to short circuit, basically, um, your critical thinking and suspicion. And so the, the urge to, I don't want to lose my stuff, is very powerful. And when you pair that with something that's very trusted, um, you've got some pretty effective spam if it's well-constructed. And so you've got you know, situations where people are afraid of package theft. And I don't know whether these factors directly influence the, the spike in this type of spam, but I can say pretty confidently that they increase the success rate of them, and thus that would help it expand. It's um, interesting because at first blush, you would think that these things would be a little bit in opposition to each other, i.e., you know, a lot of these lures that we see say, we tried to deliver your package, but we were unable, so please click on this link. Um, whereas with package theft, it's you would think that what they would use for the lure. I don't want to give anybody any ideas here, but you know, you'd expect it to be more like, I, I don't know about you guys. I get bombarded with surveys constantly. And so they might say, how was your delivery? Uh, please respond to our quick survey or something. Of course, that's not going to give billing information. They'd have to figure out some way to tie that in. But um, you've been selected might, to win a gift card. That's 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. If that's right. If you well, that's still you, you just pay us. Uh, we pay just us need your credit card. Enter your credit card your bank, information. Your bank information. For the, we'll just for the gift drop card it there that you've been yeah. selected to win. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, that we could do a whole separate episode, by the way, on things like I'm concerned about package theft, but I also am very concerned about putting up a video doorbell because you know, lots of reasons. Well, I mean. Um, Again, it's it's a war of creativity, right? Um, all of these little factors create this weird confluence, um, and these this type of cybercrime um, is drawing from human psychology, and um, the psychological drive of avoiding discomfort or um, somehow profiting are powerful. And so it's easy to kind of trigger those and short circuit skepticism. And another kind of reason that I, I just thought up um, that the USPS would be targeted like this um, is services like these are frequently using SMS updates for delivery. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. That serves an important function. But again, um, if you have a target and um, the type of spam that you're sending them is somehow familiar, more familiarity um, is going to increase the likelihood of that person being effectively deceived. What do you think the chances are of in the future... um you know, you had mentioned, you know, the idea, you know, people want their stuff. You want to avoid the discomfort of maybe not having that stuff. Like what, what are, what's the reality or potential reality of um, a campaign that incorporates, you know, this, you know, SMS um, element along with, you know, if you have the camera and maybe social engineering the camera to, you know, trick people in the future. Um, I mean, that could be used, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the context of, of this type of activity, you would want kind of a wider net. Mm -hmm. So a fishing lure like we've, like we've seen here uh, that starts out with um, direct quote, you have a package that's arrived at the warehouse, but it couldn't be delivered because of incomplete address information. Well, that's something that you can send to a lot of people. Um, whereas a more targeted attempt, you can actually use a much kind of deeper level of social engineering when you have a small target group versus a large target group. And um, in the context here, since no kidding, I've received more than 20 of these since, gosh, I think um, September. Um, and Literally everyone I've asked has received it. And I, I would say that everyone here, can we agree that you've received it as well? Yes. So, yep. Yeah, for sure. So super generic spam. Um, but since it's the postal service that's being impersonated and we rely um, in such a large part on um, mail and parcel delivery, it really is plausible if you don't approach it with a lot of skepticism and 
couple that with the fact that the malicious domains that the spam sends, sometimes they are seemingly gibberish. Other times um, they're relatively convincing. It's it's no surprise um, that not only is this spam turning into visits to deployed fishes, but um, those fishes are stealing vital um, information from victims. And it's sad. You know, it seems to me, I mean, one of the one of the things that I think we, I know I do, and I think other people constantly think about as fishing techniques evolve, and to some extent, some of some aspects of it stay the same, but thinking about the ways that it's changing and evolving is what is the role of awareness training and so forth in this. And we used to be, you know, it used to be pretty effective to say, look for broken language and stuff. We, and we still see that sometimes. Um, there's an example of it in one of our, our blogs here. Um, but, uh, at the same time, uh, we will see and do see some of these lures that are a lot better. So, you know, I'm interested in what anybody, anybody, any of us, we can start with null, but, uh, think about what does the future of awareness training look like and does it need to change? And, and I will start with one thing, which is, you know, that this is one saving grace to me in a lot of these lures, which is the, you see the URLs, you see the domain names there and they look kind of not what you'd necessarily expect. So, um, that's, that's not always going to be the case, especially if they use a URL shortener, but when they don't use one, um, that seems to me like one of the good places to start in helping train folks about this. But what do you think? Uh, I would inherently mistrust URLs, especially from unknown senders. Um, we're going to have to have more pervasive skepticism when it comes to anything related to our personal information. Yeah. Uh, un unfortunately, again, it's a war of creativity and the tools um, that um, spammers have now to make um, their fraud more convincing are eons um, better than they were even a few years ago. So skepticism has to be has to be taught. And unfortunately, we're always going to have to be kind of on our back foot responding to this. Because um, there are a lot of ways to deceive a human being because that type of deception, again, is playing on kind of drivers that are fundamental to our existence. So there's something so strange about um, fishing is it's both primal in the sense that it's exploiting, you know, what makes people human, but also... Um, advanced. And that's a technological means of accomplishing that. Yeah. And they are, they are evolving the psychology of that. I mean, like there's, there's certainly a lot more of what I call opt out psychology versus opt in psychology, which is, you know, all the things in the vein of we detected or not, we detected fraudulent uh, activity. No, the one that's like, um, uh, your trial is ending and we're going to go ahead and bill you for your, uh, for the ongoing subscription and click here if you want to cancel. It's a great point. Um, it's 
it's using people's vigilance and um, awareness of fraud risk to perpetuate fraud. Again, creativity. Um, it's it's devilish. Yeah. Uh, when I first started seeing that come along, I thought, oh man, this is gonna this is gonna get some folks for sure. And we had mentioned, um, you know, in our in our research that phishing kits are difficult to perfect, but you know, we don't really expand, you know, why that is. Is can we talk about that here? Well, hey, I, I mean, I, I love talking about phishing kits, right? Um, That's why we invited you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that um, the absolute top tier fishes out there, uh, you're never going to get a kid sample. You're just not because they're going to be so targeted and be deployed for such a short period of time that um, the chances of them being detected and much less um, having any sort of artifacts, um, you know, collected from them is relatively low. Uh, you, you start to see that kind of um, operation when you're dealing with, you know, top tier threat actor groups or in a lot of cases, really talented offensive security people. But when it comes to what I would call, um, I don't know, commodity grade fishing kits or fishing kits that are um, sold as part of a fishing as a service operation, um, there are a lot of points and most of them um, where the fishing kits author either borrows from um, existing fishing kits that include their own flaws or um, either makes pretty typical operational security mistakes, um, makes some mistakes with their development and exposes information that can be used to track them uh, or even identify the actors behind it. So in Chin Lun's case and a lot of um, phishing as a service providers, um, there's no real privacy. And what I mean by no real privacy is by virtue of, you know, having phishing as a service offered, the administrator of this kind of centralized management infrastructure for fish, for fished results, uh, whether it be, say, a Telegram channel or a management panel where customers can log in and see all of the terrible um, data that they've stolen from innocent people, um, that information is not going to be private to, say, the administrator of the service. And I can say that I have yet to find a um, phishing-as-a-service operation that doesn't siphon creds off of their own customers. And so um, that same activity exposes information in ways that can bite people um, who are actually behind the fishes. It can hurt people that are the victims of it, but it can also prov provide very useful um, kind of um, first stepping stones, so to speak, for researchers and um, investigators. So that's useful. Um, but when it comes to... Um, you know, just your generic fish, it's easy to clone a website. Um, it's relatively easy to set up the um, infrastructure, well, sorry, set up um, the PHP processor that will 
you know, send an email to a attacker-controlled um, email address to get fish results, right? But um, each of these each of these phishing kits, each of these phishing campaigns, by virtue of them being so public, so prolific, um, they're going to inherently and inevitably um, reveal information that the actors don't want to have revealed. Gotcha. Okay. I think um, I just had one other question as I'm thinking about this, you know, before we we make a, a pivot. Um, so, so no cookies, you had mentioned, you know, like this hurts real people and not, you know, these faceless organizations. But, you know, like I'm thinking about, you know, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that don't offer like a, a company device anymore. It seems like they like they want you to use your own device that you bought with your own money. Um, and that's it's what you use for your personal, um, you know, day to day use. Um, but I'm thinking about how, you know, what if you're in the you're the in the unfortunate spot where you're managing like inventory or packages for your organization using your personal device and you get something like this like you know what is that where how how i i don't even know what what to ask really here is you know how, like how do you manage that as as a person you know that's you know is not within the infosec community like they are you know just human and they're able to be deceived but they are in charge of things that help make the organization run efficiently. But, you know, unfortunately, they've got this personal device that can be targeted in this way. Well, look, you can talk about bring your own device scenarios and the risk that entails. Uh, you can talk about devices that, you know, use mobile device management to make them um, more robust or more easily managed um, by the IT team of an organization. But it's never going to take away kind of the absolute truth when it comes to fraud and phishing. And it's that anyone can fall victim to a fish at any time. Um, I love the anti-phishing space. It's my idea of great fun. I can be fished. I can be defrauded. Everyone can. So um, for me, it's it's less focused on the device itself and to a certain extent, the person. And it's more the acknowledgement that these contingencies will occur and um, that as organizations, as um, defenders, people who are kind of more on the threat intelligence side, more technical people, um, we all plan for this to happen because it will happen. Okay. That's really good advice. I, oh, Tim, I think I'm probably not the only one that takes some comfort in in hearing that one of the foremost authorities on phishing says that uh, they are, you know, they can be fished too. I mean, I think that's true of all of us. It's just sort of hard to admit. I think maybe when you work in this space, and it it's it's what you have to say out loud because um, it's the only prudent. Uh, uh, mindset, I think, related to it. But it's, I at least for myself, I found it easy to privately still feel, you know, shame if I click on something I shouldn't click on. And, uh, but it's, you know, it's going to get all of us sooner or later. I mean, I think that's a, that's a healthy way to look at it. And, and having some education, not just on how to avoid this stuff, but on what you do next, if you, if you do fall for it, I think is helpful. 
Sure. And, and there should be no shame in admitting that. Um, yeah. What we just have to do as professionals is one, learn from the mistake um, and then talk to people about how they can avoid it themselves. There really is no shame in it. Uh, it's about protecting people from fraud. That's what I care about. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much, Noel Cookies. Uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights. Um, and, and uh, you know, in a typical episode, we usually provide a hoodie rating on, on the articles that we talk about. I kind of feel like this this deserves a hoodie rating as well. Would, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 100%. So, okay. So if you're a newer listener, um, we would rate these between one and 10 hoodies. And if you could picture the stereotypical hacker in a hoodie, uh, 10 would be absolutely catastrophic. And one would be not so bad. You can you can kind of go about your business. Um what are we thinking? And maybe Taylor, we'll start with you. What's what would you rate this uh, phishing campaign as? You know, I think the the how widespread it is is really fascinating to me. And I'm really curious about the infrastructure provider bills <laughs> that they're running up. Like, you know, how how are these things getting into all these different inboxes? Well, you know, they're paying those bills with other people's money. Oh, for sure, right? But um, you know, like. Uh, you know, I just for something this large, uh, I, I always kind of wonder about that, like, you know, where, um, you know, where, where that's going. Uh, for me, you know, let's go 3.83, I don't know, 4.83 hoodies. I'll go, go 4.83 hoodies. So just under five, um, almost imperceptible. You can't even tell that that's not quite there. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate it. So like the 0.83 hoodie maybe just has unusually short sleeves. Yeah. And I think that whoever cut it made it, they want it to look like a full hoodie, but it's got 17% of the materials been taken out. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's a, a profit margin. Booster, Shrink, right shrinkflation. There. So it's sort of like <laughs> jean shorts, but a hoodie. Very similar. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe like maybe maybe more like capri pants, uh, but a hoodie. Yeah, because it's only seventeen percent. Oh my gosh, um, Tim Helming, Thelming. What about you? <laughs> um, I I was kind of in the same neighborhood. I'm going to put it a little bit higher uh, because what I'm thinking about is. The rate of, like, I think there are a lot of people that don't fall for these, which is great. But if you're at an enterprise of any size and you are managing large numbers of users, then, you know, you may have multiple of those users that do fall for these, and then you're going to have some some cleanup. So it's not that it's necessarily catastrophic, because when we think about the things that uh, that are most harmful to a large enterprise. We tend to think of business email compromise. We tend to think of ransomware or espionage or something like that. This isn't that, but what it does do is it ties up incident responders or, um, other, you know, it folks, um, helping deal with these nuisance things, but that have to be dealt with. Um, and that has an opportunity cost in terms of other things that they could be working on to keep the, uh, the place safe. So I don't know, put me down and because of the pervasiveness and everything, put me down for 5.5 and the half a hoodie, this is going to be, I'm just going to do it this way. It's the hood, it's the sleeves 
and it's the lower portion of the torso. So it's kind of a checkerboard effect. Ooh, interesting. I like that. You know, I think one thing I'd like to see us do is force these fishers onto the old school SMS pricing where they got to pay 10 cents a pop. (laughs) (laughs) Send messages to everybody. I like that. Change the economics of it. um, Make a difference there for sure. (laughs) Somewhere like an AT&T executive was just like, what? (laughs) He's like, I just heard money. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) (laughs) No sugar cookies. How would you rate this? Hey, just as an aside, Kelly, yeah. um, I'm really sorry. I forgot what the scale was. What, oh, no, one no. Two. It's one to ten, and ten is uh, the cat more catastrophic side. So I'm going to um, issue a very different rating. Um, and the reason I'm going to issue a different hoodie rating here is um, not so much because of the enterprise risk, um, even though this type of, of spam campaign could be used to target enterprises if the actual um, malicious domain, for instance, did different things. I think it's a good delivery mes- method, but not great for targeting an enterprise. I do think it is incredibly effective at targeting regular consumers, and ultimately that's what I really care about. And what this fish does in terms of volume, in terms of the brand that they're impersonating, and also in terms of the convincing nature of the actual fish when it's you know available for a, a um, potential victim to visit is um, really effective. The lures are being sent out in absolute droves. And the billing and payment info that's being stolen with these fishes is being shared among a group of cyber criminals in a country that has no extradition treaty with the United States and will not extradite its own nationals from China, where this Chinlun actor almost certainly operates out of, along with a good portion of his customers and affiliates. So this sort of stolen information is being abused, it's being shared, and it is also being resold in other cybercrime markets. So what is an instance of of one fraudulent charge that a victim will find very distressing, but they can dispute it, and um, hopefully it won't happen again when they're issued a new card. Note, this information is being used to perpetuate multiple types of fraud. And my fear is that by virtue of that data being sold, it's going to create cycles of fraud and abuse that's going to follow this person. So I would say that um, in terms of this campaign related to everyday Americans is an eight. I think that's a fair assessment, right? I, I think, you know, obviously ours, we're generally coming at it from that enterprise. Like, hey, how much time did we spend having to battle this thing? Um, you know, where stuff like Log4j and SolarWinds have these super long tails of, um, you know, folks spending time and cycles on them. But this is one that's so broad um, and, you know, so much has been done here and it seems so difficult to mitigate as well. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks everybody for... uh 
for sharing your your hoodie ratings. It's very, very insightful. All right. Well, we are just going to finish up with some gold guidance and grievances, not in that order, uh, because if you if you have listened to this show, you know when we end on grievances, it is uh, a bummer for everybody. So, it's a buzzkill. It is a huge buzzkill. So um, we are going to be sharing. Uh, well, Tim and Taylor will be sharing, and then Noel Cookies, you can interject at any time on uh, gold guidance and grievances. I have some guidance. Oh yeah. Well, let's let. Can we can we hear it? Well, I have guidance to. Um, you know, the people that are trying to profit from this stolen data. Well, I think that related. would be very beneficial. Well, there's a lot I want to say. Oh. Um, <laughs> I would say that, you know, this behavior causes lasting harm and there's no rationalizing away, um, you know, this activity as, as merely stealing from a bank, which themselves shouldn't be stolen from, in my opinion. But, um, you know, don't rationalize this as a harm, harmless activity or a sport or a game. These victims aren't um, distant abstractions on the other side of the planet or it's just some faceless corporation. They're human beings. And I can say that um, of all the fraud cases I've seen, they share a common thread. And that's a tormented victim that experiences some sort of lasting harm. Um, it's not a matter of them um, being charged $500 on some airline that they'll never fly on. Um, even, if, even if those charges are reversed, and not, they aren't always because not everyone is scouring their credit card statements. Um, even if they don't have financial harm that's immediate, um, you're eroding their sense of trust. You're degrading them as a human being. It takes a personal toll. It takes a personal toll on me, and it will take a personal toll on you. I love that. Well put. Thank you, no cookies. All right, Tim and Taylor, you have to follow up. <laughs> you have to follow that. <laughs> uh, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you want to go first? How Allie. about Tay-Tay? Benevolent Dictator. All right. Let's see. And remember, um, start with your grievance. Yeah. And, uh, and, and end wherever else you'd like to. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't really, ha- I have grievances, but I'm going to keep them to myself. My guidance is uh, look up motion smoothing and how to turn your TV off of motion smoothing. Now you're going to be going home for the holidays. <laughs> Those TVs, you know, the, they may be adding frames that you just don't want. Um, and then gold, I saw that the Alf V folks have uh, been kind of knocked out of commission for the last couple of days. Um, so uh, I think that is, uh, I, I'll drink to that tonight. Oh, excellent. What about you, Tim? Okay. Uh, I will, I'll do kind of all three. And so my grievance uh, is that. You know, as if it wasn't bad enough to have cancer. Uh, There was a data breach at a cancer research center right here in Seattle. And uh, the patients are receiving blackmail threats now as a result of that data breach. So talk about the lower, the lowest of the low. Uh, That definitely grinds my gears. My guidance uh, is that the... uh, 
Microsoft Incident Response Team uh, shared a best practices guide for security teams and leaders. It's pretty neat. We'll link it in the show notes. So they've got some good stuff to uh, to share there. So I recommend giving that a read. And my gold is not remotely InfoSec related, but I'll just ask all of you, you know, show of hands, virtually speaking, how many of you knew that uh, sperm whales had diphthongs? That sounds terrible, doesn't it? That I'm actually, sorry, it, what? It really sounds horrible what it, I just said. But this is a yeah, family no. show. There, <laughs> there is a uh, there's new research out uh, because studies of language in other creatures, including whales, is really fascinating. And uh, so they have uh, there's some research out recently where some nuances of the language of these whales has been. Um, uncovered, and it includes things like they, their speech, so to speak, patterns have patterns like a diphthong, which is where, you know, you have sort of two vowels that are next to each other and, and uh, are pronounced in series. So how about that? Whales do that too. So yeah, I just, I find this kind of natural science uh, research super interesting. So there's my goal. It's interesting. It's the, or the orcas here tend to wear tuxedos, so yeah, they, they're uh, you as know one does. it's as well. Yeah, I mean, and it, I assume the ones that are uh, sinking all the yachts as well are well dressed. Well dressed. Oh, you're a you fit right in here. <laughs> Shucks. Excellent. I'm so glad. Let's end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Noel Cookies, for being here today. We wish we could Thank talk you. to you a lot longer. We wish we could be one of the two or three hour podcasts to talk to you about this. <laughs> well, I can drone on for hours. We'll come, we'll come back. I wouldn't call it droning you, on, but it's no. great. Yeah, please come back when, when you'd like. You're always welcome here. Uh, and thank you, Tim and Taylor, for for being here as well as always. This is it's fun talking to you all, and this is a very interesting, serious uh, campaign to, that we want to you know highlight and bring attention to. So so thanks everybody for your insights, and thank you to our listeners uh, for for coming and spending some time with us. And we hope you come back next week for another new all epi new episode of Breaking Badness. Bye bye, y'all. Bye bye. Thanks, That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>